My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Bray Castellini. I used to be an egg. Happy Easter! Way after Easter when this is going out. <laughs> and yet we are recording it today, and so at the moment in which I said egg, it made sense. All right. Fuck you, Chris Cherry. Fuck you, Brie Castellini. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly <laughs> rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode of Burn Notice on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind, no matter who you are, at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's Actually, noticed with some people can give us criticism, but only nope, we can. Nope, I will accept no criticism. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to explain really quickly for the audience that before we started recording, it's been a week for you guys, but we just recorded the last episode in mm-hmm. which we got into like almost an argument. I mean, it was definitely an argument. It wasn't heated. Like I didn't feel yeah. angry at you. No, no, yeah, but like it just felt like we were living together again, and we were about to did. settle in for an eight-hour argument where neither of us would ever give any amount. Exactly, um, and so I have declared a moratorium on discussing last week's episode in this episode. And since Chris is uh, the boss of this podcast, I have conceded. Yes, for this week, I am the boss. All right, boss. What are we talking about this week? If it's not last week's episode, what is it? It's this week's episode. It's season three, episode 10. And by this week, I mean the week of January 21st, 2010. But this episode is called The Dark Road. It was written by Big Daddy Nicks and directed by the stalwart John D. Kretschmer. Have they named anyone Kretschmer yet? Because Kretschmer has directed a lot of things and Chechik got it's a, coming. Th- a character named after him. I think it's coming. It's got to be coming. And the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is Michael's quest to find out who killed Diego is interrupted as he helps a widow take on a network of insurance scammers. However, the job could be jeopardized when Madeline befriends an asset during the mission. Um, so I'm going to say right up top, I actually... I didn't love this episode, and I'm not going to make an argument at the end that it's a great episode of television, but I think it's one of my favorite Nick's episodes so far. I didn't realize it was Big Daddy Nick's. I was watching it, and I was just sort of enjoying it for what it was doing. And I thought that this episode had some really strong moments in it. I don't think that it was a great episode, certainly. I think it ended strong. I I like... yeah, it had a strong it. ending, and I liked the Madeline plotline. I thought that that was really interesting, and I wish they, I, had, they had gone more into that in other episodes. Not necessarily the Madeline, but what Madeline brings up. I think she brings up something that we have been enjoying about previous episodes, which is Michael Weston's, like, gray areas. Um, yeah. And I like that. I like the exploration of Michael's gray areas, and I like the way that it was handled with Madeline this episode. I, it, I thought it felt natural. I, I thought too. it felt like Madeline. I thought that, you know, it, it, it treated her like a person while also being someone who doesn't know as much about Spycraft. And I think that it was an interesting conflict that resolved I think it was. interestingly. I, my one argument with it is that they kind of lose it for the middle of the episode. Like, every once in a while, Madeline will show up and will be with Tina, which we'll get to in a second. 
but it feels like this weird thing where for two thirds of the episode, Madeline's in a Madeline C plot that suddenly becomes an A plot at the end. See, I didn't feel that way, but let's let's go through the episode and, and maybe we'll see it. Because yeah. I, I I think for me, I felt that it was paced fine because like it was introduced as an issue. And Michael's like, you can't do that. And she's like, well, why not? It's fine. We're just friends now. And but they thought that they were done with this asset. So like while it is irritating um, and like not good for them, like it seemed like that prop that was over. So they didn't need her anymore. And then when it came back at the end, I thought that that made total sense because like Michael was just sort of irritated because like that's not how spycraft works but then by the time they get to the end of the episode and he's like shit we actually need that asset again mom you have to like turn on your friend i thought that it made sense i also think what would have made it work a lot better is if they had done anything to develop tina or madeline and tina's friendship at all I feel like they did. They Tina's played canasta. Like they were drinking together, and then they episode. also went to the went to the beach together, and were like talking about body issues. Like the the I felt they don't like ta- I. I don't feel like they talk about body issues. No, they do. Like when she comes into the room in the beach scene, she's like, "I I decided I looked at myself in the bathing suit and I couldn't I couldn't deal with it, so I'm just gonna oh, come, yeah, like, yeah, I'm just right. gonna go to the beach like this." Um, and like Madeline has a little conversation with her there. Um, it's slight, like, but I I felt it. They seemed like I don't they really know. I see. I each felt other, like and they did multiple activities together, and I like they that. did multiple activities. We don't super see the activities, and again, like Tina's kind of a non-entity. She's like very generic. Yeah, she's just like a generic happy old woman. Exactly. I do and think if, that the fact that the last scene we see her in, she reveals to Madeline that she's gotten an identical haircut that killed is me. great. That <laughs> is great. I did. Yeah, I think I just. If I could have gotten a little bit more from Tina, and so I got like a sense, um, because it doesn't actually, it doesn't super feel like Madeline and Tina are actually becoming friends to me. Like, um, I guess I'm just not used to seeing much of Madeline anyway. So like the fact that her like day to day relationship with this woman is sort of underdeveloped felt just sort of normal to me. It doesn't. I also yeah. wasn't recapping it. So it probably seemed more natural to me than it did to you. So like, I'm it's not saying also, it was the perfect plot and I hear what you're like, saying. And like, she definitely was generic old lady, but like, I didn't really have any problems with it from my, like contrast my that with say, um, what's her name? Sam's friend to, she like is her boyfriend. Oh, the ex Navy SEAL buddy. Ex Navy SEAL guy. We're in like that guy feels like a guy, and like we well, see them together. Well, but also he was the like, he was the client that week. Like he, so he had to be more like a guy because we learned about like what his issue is, what he was trying to do, what these guys want out of him, and he has to keep making active decisions. Whereas this woman, she was a patsy who then Madeline made important by like, yeah. virtue of becoming friends with her. So like this woman was never meant to be active and we never like, what else were we going to learn about her in context of her position in the story? Like, I don't think it's a fair but comparison to pit Virgil I, up against this woman. And Yeah. But also I feel like that means that while I totally, I, I totally 100% buy like Sharon Glass's performance and her being like, um, like hit by this it doesn't land for me quite as much as it could have because um i feel like tina's less less developed and just like some sort of sense of what tina means to madeline we'll we'll go get into it more once we get into the weeds yeah let's actually get into the weeds because like i feel like there's a lot to talk about 
Um, and All right. Yeah. I, so I'm just saying that, like, I, I just wanted to put out there that, like, this is a Big Daddy Nicks episode that I enjoyed. And I wouldn't have necessarily pegged it as a Big Daddy Nicks episode. I agree. I think, yeah, I think this is one of the best episodes he's written. I definitely agree with that. It starts and uh, Michael is restitching Fee's wounds or wound, the single, like, gunshot graze or whatever she got in the like back in December or whatever, or August. Cause again, we're back from the winter break <laughs> and um, we've learned it's been about like two weeks, I think have passed um, since the yeah, events of which, last episode. Which makes it even crazier that Fiona is still like having to be sedated to go to bed because she was barely scratched last episode. So the fact yeah. that like it's been two weeks and she's still like, oh, I can't take this meeting. I'm so weak. And then she's not. Yeah, weak. it's the, so does, unclear. It's very unclear how injured she is because as far as we can yeah. tell, the only injury is the grazing of the bullet. And even when it happened, it didn't seem that serious. So the fact no, that it's been like, two weeks. Both of them, it's like, yeah. It's so and weird. And like every single person on this show like has gotten shot worse than this. Yeah, and like a couple of episodes ago when Nate got shot and he had a full arm cast, Chris accused me of uh, being too hard on him. He's Chris was like, have you ever been shot? But I feel like in this episode where I'm like, Fiona's being dramatic, you have to agree with me because she's oh, there is no way that the injury that we were shown is this bad. Unless she got like yeah. blood poisoning or something as a result of like the lead or something or like she got tetanus or, you know, yeah, when she it's... got into the water after with her open wound, it like gave her a blood sickness. But like, that's not what happened. She's just no. being very dramatic and they needed a reason for like her to not be at the first meeting, I guess. And like, well, I think they wanted a reason to like put them in a bed together because <laughs> it's happening. And what I assume is. Fiona's bedroom? Have we seen Fiona's bedroom before? We saw it briefly in the last, in the episode with the kid and his abusive dad, because mm. the kid ran out of it, like mm. holding her gun. Yeah. And it's unclear though, because presumably she had like sold her apartment or like would had put it on the market or whatever. Uh, but I guess since yeah. she didn't move, she managed to keep hold of it. It's unclear where they are, but they are somewhere in a room. So not Michael's loft with a bed. Maybe it's still yeah. Madeline's house. Who knows? Because we don't, it could, we've never yeah. seen Madeline's guest rooms. It could be, but like she's the kitchen so doesn't look weak, familiar. She couldn't they, have been moved. Yeah, and yeah, she like he's redressing, like re-sewing her stitches because she keeps pulling them or something, and like she's sedated and Why? like so she's Why talking is she sedated? all. It's such a sw- she's even talking when they all show loopy. The wound. <laughs> it's so little. Like, it's like a paper cut. And there's like a comedy bit where like because she's kind of like jokingly mad at him and she like tries to hit him. And he, like, catches her before she can, like, punch him in the face. And then at the end of the scene, she, like, sucker punches him uh, to show that she still got it. And, the, like, <laughs> there's, like, a guitar riff that's just, like, a comedy kind of, like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it's ludicrous. It is ludicrous. But um, and then, I, I I liked it. I, every time this, I thought this it was is cute. a thing that Fee does every once in a while, or they have Fee do, where she, like, attempts to do something, isn't able to, but then, like, makes a point at the end of, like, the scene, like, as the final button of getting to be violent just to prove that she could be violent. And you know what? I stand a queen. Yeah. No. It was cute. Uh, they're hanging out in bed. It's cute. Um, yeah. I feel like so- these two have really hit their stride in this season of, like, me buying the romance because like season one it was sort of like 
Fiona was pretty one note and very just she was just like obsessed with Michael Weston. Season two was weird because like she was with Campbell for half the season. Um, but I feel like end of season two and now all of season three, I don't just like buy the romance because they've written it well. But I also think that these two actors have really hit their chemistry stride. And like there's just like these little moments every once in a while where we get to see them just like they feel lightly touch. Now. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's something when I'm directing like a romance scene, something that I'm always very conscious of is the body language because like it's one thing to like have a emotional dialogue scene and if two actors are like decent actors you know there'll be something there but like I feel like you can't really feel chemistry until you're in like the quieter moments like the less strictly romantic moments and like it's something about the physicality of two people who are just comfortable in each other's space and these two actors yes. finally feel comfortable in each other's space in a way that like solidifies for me the fact that like they are deeply in love um and so i really have enjoyed that it's also like pretty clear that like they're together also i think part of it is up to this point it's always been so fuzzy what their status is so ambiguous yeah yeah so like now their status is pretty clear but even without um, that, like they they were dating towards the end of season one, but I never felt it never like you said. No, felt you don't feel it. In. Like yeah, there there wasn't the same kind of like physical intimacy in moments yeah. where they didn't have to be like the where the the text or subtext was romantic. Yeah. Like this is not necessarily, and like there are moments throughout this episode that are not necessarily romantic scenes, and they are still managing to layer that in in a way that they hadn't before. And so I've been really enjoying the sort of building of that this season. Yeah, uh, Sam catches this up. Michael is not wanted for Diego's death. Rest in peace, Diego. You and your beautiful face. But, quote, Operation Unburn Michael Weston is over. So whatever process he could have made, that's gone. And, my, and Michael's like, yeah, I guess so. But Sam also has a lead on whoever did kill Diego, because that's Michael's thing now. He's trying to figure out who killed Diego because Diego's death was his fault. But, like, all Sam is able was able to get is a hotel. Like, whoever did it was probably staying at this hotel. He does it through Sam things. I forgot what they are, but it doesn't matter. What does matter is Michael goes to the hotel, and it turns out that whoever he's looking for, that person has been expecting them and expecting him. Because uh, the lady at the front desk gives him a note from his quarry to go to a certain hotel room. It's like, he's got a little note that says Mr. Weston on it, and, like, he opens it up, and it's got a hotel room. And so Michael goes to the hotel room, but before he can go into the hotel room, it spontaneously it's combusts. Yes, it's firebombed. Then the craziest thing happens. Like <laughs> I'm glad you called this out. I was wondering if you were going to make a note of it because, like, it's been a while since we've really like cheesed on Burn Notice's editing style, like truly the way that we did in season one. But this was wild. This is wild. Okay, <laughs> so the room catches on fire. Cut to a shot of Michael. In the hotel hallway, like a good like medium close up of Michael in the hotel hallway looking shocked at the fire being lit by the flames. And then like the title card for Bird Notice, the television show, just like kind of appears behind him. Yeah, it, it cuts him out. So it like he he is taken out of his backdrop. And it like yeah. fades, not like it does. It's not like a fade out to the title card. It's like they punch him out like a comic character. The yeah. burn notice title card appears behind him, and then his punch and out he fades can... out into the title card. Yeah, and like it comes out like it's not just like a cut either. It's like this weird fucking iMovie transition 
where like it's like it gets stretched out for the middle of the screen like you're opening a book or something like it's it's hard to explain um if you haven't watched the episode go find we should find some way to show people this because it's fucking absurd i mean if you take a screenshot of like the moment it'll probably be it's pretty good it doesn't quite again part of it is this goofy ass transition it's so dumb i don't know what the fuck was going on why anyone thought that was a good idea but it happened it sure did anyway so at the loft the gang discusses the firebombing and how they have nothing on the guy who did it um and it was registered under the name of this nuclear scientist who was also killed in a firebombing. So clearly whoever... An unsolved firebombing. An unsolved firebombing. So clearly whoever did this, who killed Diego, also killed that nuclear ph- physicist. And so this is the guy saying, hey, I'm the guy who did that. That's who I am. It's interesting. Um, it's kind of a version of uh, back from season one when Philip Cowan was like communicating with Michael. Yes. The way that he was communicating with him was using Michael's old cases to like prove that he's been paying attention and that he knows who Michael is. It's interesting that they're doing that again, but this guy is now just like broadcasting. This is who I am. It's like it's like a serial killer giving clues to who he might be, but I don't know why he would give away that much information. Like. I get. I mean, I guess it's the same serial killer logic of like it's more fun if you're on my tail. But it just because we've never heard of this person, like he's just like a, the cleanup guy. Um, as a result of Strickler being dead, it it's like it's more fun when it's when we know there's a serial killer and then he starts dropping hints. It feels just like a little bit backwards. Like, and it's also interesting because of how similar this concept is to Philip Cowan's, but I do like that it's an extremely violent way. Like, I like that he's revealing clues about himself. It just sort of, because yeah. we don't, we didn't know that this person existed before this episode, um, it doesn't feel, like, I don't feel as connected to the fact that it's, I, I feel like I've been saying that a lot the past couple of weeks is like, things come out of nowhere that I'm supposed to care about, and I don't feel like the show has done a good job of making me care about them. Um, I like the, I will the idea say. of it. I will say, and we get a little more of this guy later, and we'll talk about him later, like, as it goes on. I does feel almost like an apology for Strickler being boring. (laughs) It's almost like, yeah, that guy was nothing. Like, Strickler's way of getting attention was, like, sending fruit baskets. (laughs) Like, yogurt and, like, an edible arrangement or something. And he's like, well, that's not this guy. This guy's no Strickler. He firebombs a hotel. I feel like that's what they're going for. And I was very bored of Strickler, so I'll take it. Uh, Meanwhile, Fee has a job. It's just this little insurance scam thing that she meant to wrap up before she left. The job is this. The client is this woman named um, Kalia. Yeah. Uh, Kalia. 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 It's C-A-L-I-A. They don't yeah. they don't pronounce it until like halfway through the episode. You just see it in the like the lower font. third, yeah. So it was very weird. It is very weird. She's nothing. Yeah, the she's, most she's almost a non-entity. Like the which most is honestly Nick's the, thing about this episode is her and how nothing she is. <laughs> she's just a single mom doing her best. Yes, uh, her husband died in a car crash that she thought was an accident, but it turned out to be an insurance scam. That got because him Because they were, like, having a financial issue. And so he agreed to, like, be hurt 
so that he could sue, yeah. you know, whoever hit him. Um, but it, he, it ended up being more deadly than they anticipated. And now that the bad guys are like, well, since he died, you have to sue the city. And it actually works out better for us because you can sue the city for way more money than this, than your husband could have sued for like the accident. Exactly. And now they're threatening to kill her son if we don't, if they, if she doesn't sue the city. Mercifully, we never see the son uh, because again, she's kind of a non-entity. And so this is the case. And then Michael calls Sam to ask him to pull some insurance records using Sam magic. The next day, <laughs> I Michael do like that Michael looking... Weston just considers Sam to be like this magical man who, through like the power of his pelvic moves, can just get him information. Exactly. Um, and, that, and that largely Sam doesn't disagree. Sam's always like protesting, but then at the end he's like, mm, no, nah, Sammy's got some hammy magic. Yeah. And I just like that that's the mythology of Michael Weston. He's just exactly. like, oh, Sam can get he just it. Doesn't question magic. it. Um, and this time, Sam does question. He's like, this is going to be hard to get just to set it up that, like, he's going to fail. <laughs> but yeah, the next day, Michael is looking through Strickler's phone and Sam arrives and says that he cannot get the insurance records because the woman at the county office is a 65-year-old widow at, who is immune to Sam magic. <laughs> yeah, Sam needs him a little younger. Yeah, but not Sam needs them thirty eight going on twenty two. <laughs> I mean, at least that's uh, no, that's over because he fucked up her car last episode, so Miss Reynolds will never talk to him again. I am disappointed. I wanted to see Miss Reynolds. I wanted to know why she was Miss Reynolds. I think that the mythology of her being thirty nine going on twenty two is uh, really what we're getting out of this. But like Miss Reynolds. It was weird that she never got a first name and she was always referred to as Miss Reynolds. I wanted there to be something with that. Like she was, wouldn't it be funny if she was just like someone famous with the last name Reynolds? I don't know who. All I can think of is Debbie Reynolds, who is not 38. But yeah, it just, it was such a weird affectation that she was Miss Reynolds. But yes, um, there's a woman at the county office. uh, We eventually learned his name, Tina, and she is 65 going on 65. But Sam says... Once again, we got to use Madeline because Madeline is his go-to person now. So Madeline agrees to help, but she really doesn't like the idea of lying to an innocent person. She's like, no, that's fucked up. I don't want to do that. And Michael's like, no, you, yeah, but like really bad people are going to get more people killed. So Madeline goes to the county clerks to talk to the woman. And she says that she lost all of her records in like the most recent hurricane like, she needs to know information about her husband's doctors because her husband has died. This is the story that she's telling. Her husband's dead. She needs records on his doctors, but all those records are gone. So can I look at my husband's doctor records? And the woman, uh, Tina, is played by veteran TV and stage actor Tyne Daly, who was a very big deal a long time ago. <laughs> she was on. She played Lacey on Cagney and Lacey. Um, she's done a bunch of other stuff. She won a Tony for the gypsy revival. Like she's great. Oh, she's I didn't recognize her at all. You, you recognize this woman? I saw her name in the credits. Do you know time daily? I don't, I've never heard of this person. She did not, she was not familiar to me. I did not recognize her. Nothing. No, like she's a name that I recognize and like, she's done a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And so Madeline asks her for help. Tina very politely refuses to show her the records. And so Madeline turns on the waterworks and Tina's like, okay, I'll help. And then using the info that Madeline got, Sam and Michael locate the guy who runs this insurance scam at like a shady doctor's office. This guy's name is Ryan Johnson. 
who is, of course, <laughs> named after a Burn Notice writer and not the film director. <laughs> yeah, I, I continue to ref- I will continue in this episode to refer to this character as the director of The Last Jedi and Knives Out. Yes. And other good movies. Looper, Brick. I've never Brothers seen Looper. Bloom. They're good. They're all good. You would like Brothers Bloom a lot. So yeah, we get this guy, Ryan Johnson, named after a burn notice writer. Ryan looks like Leo DiCaprio playing a drug dealer. Like like that very specific look that Leo gets sometimes when like he has to be a crime guy in a Scorsese movie. And so he's got like a goatee and like fucking hair. Like yeah. whenever you're supposed to take Leo seriously nowadays. He looks like um the guy who was like the brunette Chad Michael Murray with really thick eyebrows back in the day. Do you know what I'm talking about? He he might have been I, the guy from Walk No, he wasn't maybe he was Walk to Remember. I don't know. There's like he a is guy in Walk from to that remember. era. Is is that am yeah. I thinking of the right person? Hang on. Yeah, he is in Walk to Remember. Yes, that's um, absolutely who I'm thinking of. Thank you, Chris, for knowing what I was talking about. Well, I also looked him up and saw that he was in Walk to Remember. Wait, is this the the same guy? Shane West? No, like was... he this guy is in Walk to Remember. Is he Shane actor. West? Is that actor Shane West? I believe West? he is. I just thought he looked like Shane West. That's hilarious. Yeah, believe this is Shane West. Guy. Yes. Okay, I was going to say he's like a Shane West type. Oh, so he's literally Shane West. That yes, tracks. Yes, he is Shane Please West. <laughs> um, I'd forgotten his name because, like, I don't super know him. I never saw that movie. My mom loves that movie, but he definitely this getup is like that look. Just like pretty boy has to be a crime guy. So Sam gives Michael a cover ID. He's a friend of this guy named Eric Lee, who was a car driver who died in the crash that Kalia's, Kalia's husband died in. And also, he's a Southerner, which made me very happy because Jeffrey Donovan is never better than when he has to play Michael playing a Southerner. I feel like a lot of our favorite Michael Weston aliases are, like, good old boys. Well, because it's, it's the broadest he gets with his performance, and I like that. It's also so unlike the, like, base Michael, like, neutral Michael Weston is just so different. Yes. That I, I think that's what we like about it, is that it forces him to go really broad. Um, because goes, it forces him to do something other than just, like, because, like, last week's alias, Paul Smith, or whatever the hell his name was, is just Michael Weston wearing a different suit. I like, yeah. like, that this kind of an accent forces him to do something a little bit different. He'll, they'll yeah, never be he's better than be Homer, like a, but. No, nothing's better than Homer, I don't think. But, like, <laughs> he's got to be, like, a crazy guy. Uh, so. To prove that he's a crazy guy, uh, he gets in a car chase with Ryan um, and just, like, cuts him off. And they'd have this whole, like, there's a lot of car chases this week. It's a very car-heavy episode. And he, like, cuts him off and, like, gets out of his car and says that his name is Alex and he's got some business and he's a wheelman and he's looking for work. And he's the best. (laughs) And he's got this real deep southern drawl and it's great. And so he makes contact and then they... Uh, update uh, Kalia on how they're doing like the standard burn notice thing where they're getting bad guys caught in the act and the only fun bit about this is Kalia is very impressed with Fiona's crew because like Fiona was the one who like she made contact with so she mm-hmm. assumes that Fiona's the boss and they don't do a lot with this but it's like that's cute 
Yeah. It's always cute when when people think that Fiona's in charge because honestly, she is. Because all she has to do is say, Michael, I help you out all the time. And Michael's like, fine, you're right. Because yeah. <laughs> she's done that multiple times and she's not wrong. He will owe no, Fiona no, forever. And so functionally, um, Fiona is in charge. And I uh, love that about her. Yeah. So uh, Sam updates Michael on the search for whoever killed Diego. He's got squat. And he thinks that Michael should let it go. But Michael's like, I got my blood on his on my hands. Like, literally, I bit down and I touched the blood. And so he can't let it go. Sam also says, you need to have a talk with Madeline because she doesn't get how assets work. And so Michael arrives at Madeline's and Madeline is having Tina, the asset, the lady from the county clerk's office, over for dinner. <laughs> and Michael tells her, no, don't get too close. It's a bad idea to be friends with assets. That's not how this works. Madeline's like, why not? She's a nice lady. I'm a nice lady. She's not a we nice hit lady. We hit it off. She thinks she's a nice lady. Yeah. She it's thinks she's a nice lady. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. One thing that I would have mentioned if I was in this scene and therefore if I had written this scene, because I write scenes the way that like I would interrogate things. Um, but like something that I didn't, I couldn't believe Michael didn't bring up is she lied to Tina to get the information. And I, as Michael Weston would be like, aren't you worried she's going to figure out that you lied about like the hurricane and your dead husband? Like, what if she asks you follow-up questions? You're playing a dangerous game. And then if she starts to question you, she's going to start to question everything. And like, we could be in big trouble. Like, I'm just surprised that like Madeline yeah. lying to start this relationship was never, never entered into the equation for why this is a problem. Like that feels like an obvious time- go-to. For Michael to, I think at the like, time, I didn't question that because I assumed that that was what the plot was going to be. I think at the time, I thought that was what the plot was going to be, was that she was going to figure it out. Yeah, that was kind of where I was expecting it to go, too. And so I, I like thought, like, well, he can't, better. he can't, like, yeah, no, the thing that they do is better. But, and so at the time, I thought, like, well, he can't say that because if he says it, then it's not a surprise later. Yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying. But um, yeah, the fact that, yeah. but because they didn't go in that direction, which I prefer, it just felt like a dropped moment to me. And it I did. mean, if it was a Michael Horowitz script, it wouldn't have been dropped, but whatever. Yeah. Fee and Michael have another little redressing wounds bedroom scene. Like, again, it's still happening. Because she's like, so uh, hurt. She's so hurt. I think this is foreplay. <laughs> I don't think it is. We know what their foreplay looks like, and it's a lot more violent than this. Yeah, but they're in a different place. Maybe now. that's now what popped her stitches is that they tried to do the violent version of foreplay, yeah. and she popped her stitches. So now they're, they're maybe trying this a isn't different foreplay. Angle. Maybe this is aftercare. <laughs> maybe this is their pillow talk. I think it is. That's what's that's what's pulling the stitches out. Instead of smoking a cigarette, they they stitch each other's wounds from their violent lovemaking. Yeah. This actually has nothing to do with the wound from, like, last episode. This is all, like, sex injuries. So they're having a little conversation where Fee says that she thinks it's totally fine for Madeline to befriend Tina. She's like, uh, what's the harm? It's like, like, they're old ladies. They do old lady stuff. And, and we're Michael done with says, the asset. And so this, is my, this is my argument for why I don't think that it feels like it comes out of left field. Like, even the episode's like, I mean, it's not great, but it's probably fine. Like, the episode's like, she's no. not important anymore. Well, yeah, but I think, like, like they talk about it. it. My problem is that, like, a lot of the times Madeline plots feel like the one about the house last week. Or it's, like, this thing where, like, every once in a while we'll check in on it. But it 
doesn't like get developed as much. I see. I disagree in this case because it it it. I, I feel like I understand how they met, like how this. I I understand the inciting incident of this new relationship, which is she had to like fake an emotional connection with this woman to like get information. I also believe based on what I know from Madeline's past behavior that like once she's emotionally connected with someone who they even set up like in Sam's scene as like, they probably will get along because they're the same person. (laughs) They're both old women of this kind of age in Miami. And so like, I also believe that Madeline would like underplay how bad it is that she's befriending an asset because she just doesn't understand how dangerous that yeah. could be. So I buy I all of like, the inciting incident, which helped me. I, I didn't buy, buy the inciting incident of her selling the house. That came out of nowhere. Um, That's fair. But like, I do think this, like, yeah, I just, that was the most recent example in my head of like a Madeline plot and the way that those tend to be C plots. Sure. But even in, there were more scenes in this episode of this there were. being developed I think, than there. So I just think it's a, I, I understand you're saying this is the most recent example, but I feel like it's a false equivalency the same way that it's a false equivalency to compare Tina to Virgil because Virgil yeah. was a fun, held a fundamentally different role in the episode than Tina does. And therefore I think I had want, a lot more opportunities I wanted, to be developed. I just, I think, I just wanted more from Tina. Like, I think Tina's. And that's fair. I, I don't disagree with you there. I just I think, think that like, there I think was the plot enough works. for me like, to everything like Everything makes sense. Like all of, I don't think it's unbelievable. I just, I think that it would have been neat Tina to have being, a little more. I think Tina being underdeveloped hurts it as a story. So Michael meets with Ryan and his dad Connor, who is the big boss. He's a big bald Southern guy too. And he offers to throw Michael a bone with, like, some extra driving work on the side. He's like, we use like, eight drivers and cycled them out. So, yeah, we can give you some work in, like, three weeks or something. And then Michael is like, no, I want to, like, management. I want to be my own guy. I want to, like, I want to do schemes. <laughs> and Connor's like, okay, let me make you a deal. If you can help my son Ryan here collect from this auto body shop that owes us money, you can, you can get a job. You can get a team. You can be management. Can we talk so, about how I've never seen an adult named Connor and how it really throws right? me off? <laughs> it really throws me off. The problem with like these two guys is that Ryan and Connor are both from the same generation of names. Yes, absolutely. Ryan, I can at least imagine an older person named Ryan. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's more like it's it's a more common name. But yeah, Connor is yeah. a little boy's name. <laughs> It very much is. And this man is anything but a little boy. We know multiple people named Connor who are we not do. listening to this podcast. And they're all little boys. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. So Ryan and Michael uh, drive to this auto body shop be- where these guys owe them money. And uh, Michael tries to get info out of Ryan about, like, how their business works or whatever and, like, it's like, it seems like you guys aren't doing so hot. What with that crash, Ryan just gets like pissy about everything. And he doesn't like Michael suggesting that they're not doing great. It's like, no, we do great. We're like, we're doing awesome. And also, I think this is around the time in the voiceover where Michael suggests that like, when you're crime guys and also family, that's bad. Like Michael's whole play is using the fact that like Ryan seems to not get along with his father as a thing but the thing is that they never really establish that he and his dad don't get along yeah 
Well, so like, I think I, I agree with you. And I think that Matt thinks that it was set up because I think it was supposed to be a reveal when he calls him dad in the last scene. Like, he's just like, talk, let me talk to the boss. And he's like, fine, I'll take you to meet the boss. Uh, and then within the scene, when they have a disagreement, like, you know, you can't get the money from the auto body thugs. And he's like, yes, I can, dad, it's fine. And I think it was supposed to be a bigger insight that like, oh, it's his dad. Like, he wasn't introduced yeah. as his father. He was introduced as the crime guy. And then when they had a small argument in that scene, he calls him dad. And it's like, ooh, his father? So I think that the show thinks a that daddy a boss. Exactly. A daddy boss. What's that like? But I do think that that was what he thinks is happening, but it wasn't as like it, the conflict wasn't very like highlighted anyways. And it was a pretty understated reveal of father son uh, in terms of this relationship. Yeah. So I, I, that's what I think Matt Nix thinks he did. He just didn't do it very well. No, it's not clear. And it, the whole time, Ryan's just kind of pissy. Yeah, the plot of this episode, like in terms of the villain, is Ryan is trying to prove to his dad that he's got what it takes. And so every decision he makes is based off of him trying to steal credit from Michael to try and like cut Michael out of the deal so he gets more attention. Like he's trying to impress Daddy. That like all Ryan (laughs) wants to do is impress Daddy. But uh, he's trying to win a kiss from Daddy. But uh, I don't think that the the conflict of daddy not giving him a kiss earlier is pronounced enough for that to really be a strong motivator on a scene to scene level. Because, yeah, he just he just comes across as like a pissy little baby and it doesn't like seem like Like, it comes from anywhere. No, it doesn't come. We go into this scene where they go to the auto body shop and like every dude is like a big burly biker man. Like, there's no one in this building besides Michael and Ryan, who is under 6'5". <laughs> They're all these big, giant men. And Ryan just goes up and is like, give us the money. We want... You, you're supposed to give us the money. Give us the money. Dad <laughs> said, give us the money. And, and it doesn't work, surprisingly. And so Michael, of course, is Michael Weston. So he just... He threatens to set the entire place on fire and he starts setting shit on fire and it's like, give us money. And they're like, oh, fuck. It's the, I feel like, like he can only do that when he's got a Southern accent and that's why I always get excited when his alias this week has a Southern accent because I know he's going to do something crazy. Yeah, he's just going to set shit on fire. He's going to be fucking nuts. And I love um, it. I love it. It's I, un- I unironically love it. Oh, 100%. But yeah, so later Sam tells Michael to just give up on this whole Diego murder guy thing. Uh, just give up on it. Like I, he's like, I hate this. Um, hate everything about it. Because well, what he's done is he tracked a phone number that uh, was connected to Strickler on Strickler's phone, and like found the location of this phone. But it's like an abandoned Marine Stadium, which is like it's like a marina or something. So like, yeah, it's like a, a it's of... like stadium seating in front of like a body of water. Yes, but it's abandoned. Like, I guess so. You can watch like. Boats, yeah, like, or like, boat sh- like a boat water show. skiing or something. Yeah, um, it's a thing that makes sense if you're in Miami. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. For at first, I thought it was going to be some kind of like I was thinking like the Navy Yard. Like when they said like Marine something something, like a Marine Stadium. I was like, is it like an abandoned military outpost that had like an event venue within it? That was what I was thinking. It honestly wasn't until just that now that I was like, oh, I get it. 
<laughs> a marine I, stadium. I think a I stadium on a marina. I think I kind of glossed over the marine part and just went to stadium. So I was kind of yeah. just expecting like a football yeah, stadium. Yeah, I, I was stuck on marine. And especially because there are actual marines in this show. You know, Sam is yeah. a marine and like things The marines to get exist <laughs> in Burn Notice canon. Yes. Well, and also like it's a thing in Burn Notice. Like there's multiple characters yeah. related to the marines. So like that was where my brain went first. But regardless, no, it's, a st- it's, it's a stadium that faces a marine. Yeah, and it's abandoned. It's been abandoned for like 20 years. It's covered in graffiti. And Sam says, like, this is a trap. This is clearly and it's a, trap a trap. that we and, and it's a trap that we can't really like protect against because it's just like a big wide open space. Yeah. it's There's and nothing there are, we can do. It's yeah, just there are, a there trap. There are going to be no witnesses. Like everything is bad about this. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason or way for us to go into this. So Michael's like, well, we got to go. Also, Fee's in this scene, but it doesn't matter. Fee's very much wasted in this episode. Other than, like, cute pillow talk, she doesn't do a lot. Yeah, she really doesn't, which is, the is I would argue, the most Matt Nix thing about this episode outside of True. the client. Um, I wondered if we were going to be nicer to Matt Nix, and apparently we're not. <laughs> Honestly, I, I nothing has changed my interest anything. I did acknowledge at the beginning of this episode that it was my favorite Matt Nix episode probably ever. So um, Michael and Sam go to the Marine Stadium and Michael finds the phone, which starts ringing. Um, it's like and taped Michael under picks a, up the fo- a seat. Yeah, it's like taped under a seat in the middle of like this long row of fucking benches and like stadium seating. Uh, totally exposed. And the phone rings, and he picks it up, and it's a fancy British gentleman <laughs> who's very suave and British, um, who wants to learn more about Michael. So he starts shooting at Michael from the distance, from somewhere, like on a boat or something, mm-hmm. um, some sort of sniper's nest. And he shoots him, He shoots at Michael like six times, but lets him go. Here's something I want to mention about this scene. So at first, as I was watching the scene, I was kind of like, there was a part of me that was like, I wish Michael was more like, you know, cool with this. Because like, as he starts shooting, Michael doesn't like move or run, but he like tenses up and he's like visibly kind of shaken. And at first I was like, man, it would have been so cool if he just like stood there impassively as the shots were going off. But then... And, like, because Sam is off to the side, like, Michael, get over here. He's going to kill you. And Michael's just, like, standing there, like, not moving. But I think as I've sat with it, I actually like the fact that Michael showed weakness in that moment because I think that's a more interesting Michael Weston choice than just, like, letting him be stoic. And I feel like if this was season one Michael Weston, he would have. They would have shown him as just, like, not moving, not showing weakness, like, with some sort of voiceover where it's, like, you can never let the bad guy know you've gotten, they've gotten to you. But I like that we got to see Michael Weston look vulnerable. He's still cool about it. I like agree. He doesn't he doesn't cut and run. He he's like he stands still, but he's like he's flinching and he like he's making a he knows that the guy can see that he's making an impression. And I think I really like that. That I, I, I that it took me a second to like internalize that, but now that I have, I really thought that that was a nice choice. And I also liked that it was kind of the the spy versus uh, military, strictly Fine. military sort of decision, like of Sam versus Michael, where Sam yeah. or Michael is playing the long game of like, no, I got to stand here and take this. Whereas the sort of military aspect of it is like, fucking retreat, get out of here. It's not about showing weakness or not. Like, like Marines don't play the mind games. They're like, 
we win or we retreat so that we can win later. But Michael Weston is playing a more like long psychological game and like is able to kind of remain calm and, and decide that like the actual choice is not even to retreat, but to do nothing. And I thought that was a nice little interplay. Yeah. And also we now we have like a fancy British gentleman. And yes. Now we have a disembodied fancy British gentleman voice. Exactly. Which I feel like so much of this does feel just like this will be better than Strickler. Mm-hmm. This guy is interesting. Well, because they're doing the thing. And honestly, this is, I think, one of the other things that that wouldn't have pegged this for a Knicks episode for me is that the villain gets to be kind of exciting and, like, kind of fun and flamboyant in a way that Knicks and Barrios villains rarely are. Yeah. Although, to be fair, though, I think, well, how many episodes with Carla did Knicks write? Because I think, like, Carla at the start, because this kind of feels like Carla Not at many, the start with a point... She- Nick's only is credited with four episodes from season two. Huh. The beginning, the end, and then one in the middle. Yes. Um, that was like a Watskin, Watkins, Rosani, and Barrios Jr. sort of season. Gotcha. Um, so Michael and Fee, after that scene, have a good old fashioned sexy crafting scene. What are they crafting in the scene? You don't you don't put it in. They're crafting the a bug. Um, oh yeah, because she she was working on he yeah she was working on it and he comes in and she's like hey can you come help me with this yeah um, yeah they're making a bug that they're gonna because they're gonna bug Ryan um, and they have this scene where Fee thanks Michael for saving her life even though she's sure she probably totally had it covered and you didn't need to do it I had it I would have escaped it would have been fine I'm awesome but thank you although she never actually <laughs> says thank you. Yeah, she, it's, it's really cute. Michael just says, you're welcome. It is cute. Yeah, it's very cute. And also there's a moment where like they're like looking deeply into each other's eyes and there's like such a beautiful moment of physical intimacy because it's like, it's sexy, but also they're not like, it's not horny eyes. It's like, I adore you eyes, which is distinct. And I think Jeffrey Donovan does a good job of walking that line. And then Fiona's like, you're burning my like bug. Please pay attention to your work, Michael. <laughs> and it's like yeah. an even cuter end to the scene. I love it. It was a really cute scene, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, no, it was cute as shit. So Michael meets with Connor and Ryan, two people with different ages, even though their names suggest otherwise. Connor is impressed with Michael now. Uh, Ryan is not given details about what happened with the auto body shop guys, because I don't think he wants to reveal the extent to which he like was a non-entity there. Mm-hmm. But uh, Connor is definitely like, oh, we used to not be able to get that money. You get shit done. I appreciate you. So what do you got? And so Michael pitches a scheme involving getting a city car to push another car that they control onto like train tracks and to get clipped by a moving train, at which point you can sue Everybody. You can sue the city car that pushed the thing. You can sue the train company. Everyone. That's the plan. Connor is into it. This big old Southern guy's like, hell yeah. Ryan, at first, is like, no, we've never done something like that before. How are we going to do that? But Connor's like, this guy, he can get shit done. We. This sounds like a great idea. And after the meeting itself is over, Ryan gets pissed at Michael for acting like he runs things now. Um, and then... Michael's like, man, if you got problems with your dad, and Ryan's like, I don't have problems with my dad, but he does. But he doesn't? <laughs> yeah, th- uh, this this is supposed to be like the heart, like the meat of the villain plot line, and it's nothing. It's, it's a nothing. wet fart of a plot. 
Yeah. Uh, while this is all going on, Fee plants their sexy bug onto Ryan's keys. In a pretty inventive way. I like this spy tip when we get to that. I, this is one of my, my favorites of the episode. So yeah, uh, Michael goes to Madeline's work. No, no, Madeline's work. Madeline doesn't work. She's retired. Uh, <laughs> Michael goes to Madeline's to work on the charger. And Madeline is going to the beach with Tina. And Mike, Michael does not like this. And then Sam calls and says that he's heard on the bug that Ryan is trying to pull Michael's scam without him. And he's doing it right now. And they need to stop him before they get someone killed. Yeah, I just, I can't get over how much I really enjoyed the Madeline arc. And I also think that it does interesting things for Michael. No, I think it does too. Yeah. Um, so so he's going to do the job without them. Yeah, he's going to do the job without them. And so Michael and Sam stop him before that happens. There's this whole thing where they have to like get run the car off and like try to get the cars from like off the road before they can push the guy and all this stuff. It's all very exciting, but it's like, yeah, you know, I there's a lot of car can. stunts in the last, a two lot episodes. of car stuff. There's so much like car stuff in this, which is hard to recap because it really just comes down to they drive cars. Yeah. But they, they drive cars with real good. Yeah. They're real good at driving these cars. Mm-hmm. But also Michael, like he sees that it's Michael that's fucking yeah, up this so, thing. So he's burned. Yeah, exactly. His Michael's cover is now blown. Sam tells Michael at the loft that Ryan and his dad have put a halt on all new business now. And the only thing that they're going to do is stuff that they're already had in the fire, stuff that they were already working on, which means they're definitely going to go forward on trying to get Kalia's shit done. Um, so Michael asks Sam, well, like, what would the police need to convict Ryan and his dad? Um, and he says, well, they need records from everyone that that doctor treated. Yeah, they basically like need person. to like be able to prove the connection, uh, not just for this one case, but show like a pattern of behavior. Yes, which means that Madeline has to blackmail her new friend Tina into sneaking into the office and getting records. Madeline absolutely like does not want to do this. And not just because they're friends, but also because, like, she was already taking a risk helping them out the first time. This time, it's indicated this woman will be fired. They will find out and she will be fired. And Michael's kind of... Yeah, she will lose her job over this. Yeah. And Michael's position is like, sorry, but people's lives are at stake. Yeah. But Madeline hasn't, like, met these people. She doesn't know anything about it. There was a beat that didn't happen in this episode that I kind of thought would happen where... um, Michael introduces Madeline to Kalia or something. Right. Yeah. That, that feels like it would have been an easy shorthand. Like, but that also is something that happens in a lot of burn notice episodes where it's like, Hey, if you just tell Madeline, like any details about the case that you're working on, she probably won't be upset that you missed dinner. You know, it's like that, that happens a lot where Michael Weston's like, and I, I can't tell how much of this is just sloppy writing and how much of it is like, a legit character choice for Michael Weston, but it does frequently feel like Michael Weston feels like he shouldn't have to explain himself because he's used to working. I, and I'm willing to allow it, although I am skeptical, (laughs) but I do like that as a choice for Michael Weston as, and that's a consistent problem we've seen him have over the course of the three seasons where he feels like he shouldn't have to explain it and people should just listen to him. And this is a result of him being used to having people around him who trust him implicitly because they're all doing the same job. But when he's working on these like lower stakes cases on the, on a more local basis, people aren't always going to, he's, he's working with more amateurs 
and doesn't have like yeah. the support he would need for people to just be like ride or die yes michael weston whatever you say michael weston um and i do like that i think that that's it's a fun tension i don't know if we ever like interrogate it enough for it to be a conscious character choice like i'm willing to allow that it might be in like a like subtle character choice but i wish that it was something that people interrogated i wish somebody would say like hey michael can you explain anything maybe that would help this situation i just feel like we don't call him out on it enough for me to fully no. believe that it's it, a conscious character choice on their part that's my thing it's hard to tell because yeah it's definitely not interrogated and episodes are rarely about that but i also think perhaps in a death of the author sort of way it's in the text yeah, I'll allow it. And I like that it's in the text. But anyway, so Madeline has to blackmail her new friend. Yeah. Um, Michael tells her there's no other way and she has to. And sometimes you have to make hard choices. And he kind of makes this point of like, you know what that means. You lived in the house that we lived in. You knew, you know that sometimes you have to make the hard choice because there's not good options. And she's like, fine. That was actually a really good line. I really like that line. Michael says something like to the effect of, like you lived in the house that I did. You know what I'm talking about. Or it was something like we, we lived in the same house or like I grew yeah. up in the house you lived in or something like that. And it was the, the, the turn of phrase. I just felt like it was, it was a, a really nice turn of phrase that was also really powerful without having to like explicitly lay out my father abused us. <laughs> and I exactly. thought that it was nice. It was a nice, it was a nice turn of phrase. I'm, I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah, bow no, down to Big Daddy Nicks for that. So Madeline goes, to Tina's office at the county to meet Tina, who has, as we've mentioned before, gotten a haircut to look more like Madeline, which is oh. the saddest thing. Oh my God, it fucking cut me to my core. I died. I died on the table. It does. Oh. It's bad. Oh. Um, it's a good detail, though. It is a good detail. And they like, don't overplay it. Like, they just... It, no, they she's, don't. She jumps in. She says, do you like my new haircut? Madeline looks at her and just like very defeatedly goes, it looks nice. Let's talk. <laughs> and then Madeline, yeah. please, please read the rest of your recap. Cause mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then, um, Madeline goes into the scene and Madeline is a cold motherfucker. Like this is the most she, Michael I've ever seen her. She like, when she needs to buckle down, she fucking, she's got ice in her veins. Yeah. She is just full on. Like, she commits. You got to do this. We already have evidence that you've tampered with things. This needs to happen. And Tina's like, I will lose my job over this. And you don't care. And it's like, I'm sorry. It just got to have to happen. This, I like that Madeline yeah, commits, that Madeline doesn't waver. Like when commits. Madeline makes up her mind, she's like, all right, fine, she like, Michael. She has one moment, and it's very subtle, where Sharon Glass plays a little bit of being upset about the thing that she has to do just enough to hint at it mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of the scene. But otherwise, no, she is cold as ice and it's great. Yeah. This is no, a great she's scene. fantastic. Honestly. And like this was Sharon Gless was the reason, like the reason that I started seeing Jeffrey Donovan as a better actor, I think because he was up until like this season, the most compelling in scenes with her. Like there was an early, yes. like even season one scene between the two of them where they were talking about something and it was wonderful and it was played all in one shot and it was like, oh shit, they're fucking acting. I think Sharon Glass raises the, the, the stakes for everyone around her in terms of acting. Anyway, so Michael, Sam, and Fee get into another car chase with Ryan wherein they engineer a crash where they engineer a crash with Ryan crashing into a city vehicle and then 
Fee calls the police and says that she witnessed a, a well-dressed man crash into a car on purpose. And that now waving he's waving a gun, a gun around, around. Specifically, yeah. And so, at which point Michael gets out of the car and in character. I love that he's still in character. Mm-hmm. Like, because he knows that um, Ryan is more mad at Alex, the the good old boy, than he would ever be at Michael Weston. And eggs Ryan on into a fight. And while Ryan is distracted fighting Alex, uh, Sam plants the documents that they got from uh, Madeline into Ryan's car in order. And there is a bit at the beginning of this where Sam does point out, like, these are all great. I feel like every time Madeline has to do something bad, they make a point of having Sam say, this was worth it, which I think is smart. They plant all of these documents on Ryan's car. So Fee, Michael, Fee and Michael tell uh, Kalia that Ryan got arrested and that he and his dad flipped on each other because they hate each other because they have issues. And that means that they're done. They're not going to be bothering her anymore. And then once uh, Kalia leaves, Fee tells Michael that she talked to Madeline on the phone and Madeline's still very upset, reasonably. And then Fee says that it really is a shame that Tina's life was ruined. And Michael's like, I'll look into it. Aww. So Michael goes... So Madeline's in like the pre-dawn hour and Madeline is up because she can't sleep because of what she did. She says she, she keeps seeing Tina's face when she tries to sleep and they have a very good scene. Such a good scene. Well, and Madeline's it's, like, it's 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 one of the two or three times ever in the show that we've seen Madeline without makeup. Her hair isn't all spiky. It's like flat because she hasn't done it yet. And she's just like smoking in the dark of her house, like looking exhausted and like looking older than we've ever seen her because, you know, she's upset. And also she's not all done up like she normally is. And Michael comes in and he's clearly exhausted and he's all dirty and he's clearly had some sort of adventure that we haven't seen. And so they're both like at their lowest having this scene and it's tremendous i really really enjoyed this scene this is a really good scene uh she gives him a lot of shit about what right he has and why he gets to decide what is the right thing and what isn't and why he does what he does and then yeah jeffrey donovan's great he has this one point where he like shouts you think i do this for the money which is and madeline says yes which is ridiculous because she knows he hates money Uh, and then he explains basically that like he has to because he can't like because he can and that people come to him and that he has to do this because like people need him and i think and he plays it really well and i'm like it's a decent articulation for like why michael does this which is just yeah because he has the ability and that it would be wrong to not with the abilities that he has Mm -hmm. with great power comes great responsibility Yeah, but I just thought, yeah, I thought it was a really lovely unpacking of, like, the gray area of Michael's life and Madeline having to, like, come to terms with it personally because she's now been, like, implicated in it. And I like that. I like that Madeline is being forced to see her son as more complicated and his job is more complicated. And whether or not this will continue to be reflected in future seasons remains to be seen, but... For this episode, at least, I enjoyed that exploration, and I thought that this scene was wonderfully done. Yeah, I thought it was great. And then at the end, of course, Michael explains that uh, he's up late because someone broke into the county records office and went through all the files, and so no one will know that Tina took some of the files. And she gets to keep her job. 
I don't know how he got so like roughed up from it because he looks like he's been rolling around in the dirt when he just broke into an office building. And I feel like we've seen Michael Weston break into office buildings a lot and look totally normal. So I'm not sure exactly what he got up to, but um, <laughs> maybe that was sweet. just like he just he broke into it right away and did some sad boy dirt rolling. <laughs> Next morning, or that that morning, whatever. Uh, Sam Later or Michael returns to the loft to find Sam. He's figured out who the killer is. It's a guy named Mason Gilroy, which is a very fancy British gentleman name. But more than that, when Michael arrived at the apartment, he found a little cell phone. And so Michael grabs the phone and presumably calls a number that's in it and calls Gilroy. And Gilroy says that he thinks they should meet, perhaps to have tea. And that is how the episode ends. Yeah. The the implication being like Gilroy knows where my Gilroy doesn't just know who Michael Weston is. He knows where Michael Weston lives. So this, this yes. shit has just escalated. Yes. I do not remember anything about this guy. No, me either. It's, we're, we're officially it, at the point of our rewatch where it has been like a full eight years since I've seen any of these episodes. So I'm like, I'm going into this largely blank. Like I know that Jesse exists and outside of like bits and pieces of moments where I'm like, I kind of remember this scene. I don't, I fully don't know where we're going from here. So it feels like I'm watching the show anew. That's how long it's yeah. been since I've seen this. I'm officially past the point of burn notice where I like, I've rewatched it once or twice, but I think I've only seen like the later seasons, like from this point on once. And yeah. I know I haven't finished it. So it's been like truly a very long time since I've seen it to the a point where it's time. basically fresh. And I really like that. I like that I don't know what's coming and I can't be like anticipating it. I just get to appreciate the show and enjoy the show as like it happens. Yeah. Also like fancy British gentleman spy is like an archetype that's like James Bond. It's like from the whole point is that like this guy is a big deal. And he's like really good at being a spy and like is he supposed to he be a spy like, or is he supposed to be like an assassin criminal everyone on this show is kind of a spy <laughs> i guess um he's like an assassin criminal but like again gentleman criminal gentleman assassin like james bond is an assassin a lot of the time anyway like i don't know if he's supposed to be a, but like that's the archetype is that like he's really good at what he does and he's a posh british guy um, and like, cause again, the first thing that he gets is like this fucking note that's like almost calligraphy. It's not calligraphy, but it's like real, like the handwriting's very fancy. It's in this like really kind of blue ink and it's all this, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just got like a real fancy British gentleman vibe from this guy. And again, I kind of, I think part of that might also be because I associate this show with psych and they have a fancy gentleman thief. <laughs> See, I associate this show a lot more with Leverage, which you're not See, allowed to watch until we're done. I know you're not allowed to watch it. I refuse to allow you to watch it until we're done with like, our podcast because I think it's like will both ruin these it shows. Oh, well, because like I watched them both in real time. That's true. Yeah, and they were happening around the same time. No, yeah, like literally, you would watch Psych and then watch Burn Notice, or the Got other way it. around. Like it was like you would me and my mom we would sit down and watch one right after the other. Gotcha. Um, well, do you want to talk was, about some spy tips? Let's talk, talk about some spy tips. A lot of these are borderline, but uh, let's talk about them. This is nothing. Precision driving is just part of standard training for an operative. 
It's mainly used when pursuing or being pursued, but on occasion, it's a great way to make an impression. This is almost certainly nothing. Precision driving exists. But like, and that like... You'd have to be a spy to know that. And that like, it's not just a thing that you can use for defense, but also like to make yourself look impressive. But again, that's nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. This is surprising that Matt, that this is an episode, this is a Matt Nix episode. And Matt Nix episodes are usually pretty good for spy tips. This is kind of a nothing. All right. We're at a point where every, the rest of these tips has to be good in order for this to pass. Mm-hmm. Which is surprising for Matt Nix because usually he's like, he's all in on this sort of stuff. And it's interesting that our favorite episode of Matt Nix's burn notice is one with weaker spy tips. So your theory, exactly. your theory is starting to hold up here, at least for like, I guess, OG burn notice, which I guess Matt Nix's version of it is. Criminals deal with a shortage of skilled labor, just like all businesses do. They can't give uh, too much information to new hires, of course, but they also can't pass up real talent. So this is interesting to me. I like that it, it, it it's basically saying if you want to get hired by a criminal, you can't expect them to divulge a lot of information. So in order to like make yourself, a, it, it's basically like how to pad your resume as a criminal. And it's you have to really make an impression in the talent that they need. Otherwise, there's no reason why they should trust you or give you any information at the interview, quote unquote, or at all. The other thing about this that made me kind of want to keep it is that it answers a question that is sort of hanging over a lot of episodes like this, where it's like, why on earth should anyone trust this stranger? Sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I will agree with that. And, and he yeah, does kind of come out swinging without really explaining to us why he did so. And it's not until this tip that it's like it kind of connects it. It's like, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. All right. We're going to keep that one. It's the first one we've kept. It. Anybody who works around acetylene knows to be extra careful. It's one of the hottest burning, most explosive gases in existence. Yeah, that's useful. And, to me. OK, cool. Yeah. I was going to argue for it, but you, you went with me on that. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, no, I'm with you. The best place to... The best place for a bug is on something people keep with them. Many car remotes these days have enough space inside to hide a small bug, not to mention a battery to power the transmitter. It's a quick, efficient, low-risk operation that costs as much as you care to tip a valet. Yeah, I like this. This is a good, this this is like a classic Nick's tip. Yes. And that was that scene where, like, Fee gets the valet to, like, leave and then bugs are gone. It's good. It's good. Mm -hmm. All right. When you're blackmailing someone, you have to be cruel to be kind, show any sympathy for your target, and you only make it worse. You have to be the bad guy. Let them feel like they have no choice. It's easier that way. Easier for them, anyway. I think that that's useful. I think Because it is so. we don't see Michael Weston blackmail good people very often. And this is nice. This is a nice sort of thesis statement to what I really enjoyed about this episode, which is like watching Michael Weston have to confront his gray areas and watching his mother confront his gray areas. And this is the tip that kind of defines that. No, yeah, I agree. So yeah, that one could stay. And finally, a push bar is a hardened steel frame attached to the front of a car. It's usually used by cops, but it's useful for anyone who's planning on being in a high-speed collision. So... This seems like it would be a good spy tip. 
I guess it is because he's saying if you want to be in a high speed collision, this will protect you. But I also had not heard of this as a thing. And yeah, this me either. Gave me new knowledge. Yeah, that's true. All right, you know um, what? Yeah. All right. He so squeaks this one barely by. squeaks by. Yeah, that's all a first. Right. Usually so Nick's episodes by have on like spy nine spy tips. Uh huh. Um. Now the question is, do they solve the case with spycraft over violence? I think so. They've got they plant a bug. There's like some misdirects. Um. They have yeah. to pivot once he knows who he is. And ultimately, it's- the climax is about spy work, like blackmailing and like working an asset is spycraft, and that's what this is about. So yeah. Yeah. Is this a memorable alias? <laughs> I believe it is. Yeah, pyromaniac, fast driving. Uh, he even has, there's a moment right before I think he goes into like the lunch scene with the dad for the first time where he puts um, chew in his lip. Oh, God. Did you notice that? <laughs> like, to I don't make know his, if I saw that. Yeah, there, he's like, he's walking into the restaurant and he like, he, he, he shoves something into his mouth and you see it kind of bulge where, where uh, dip would bulge in like between your teeth and lower lip. Um, which I, I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, it's great. I love the voice. He's so good at it that it's sometimes slightly hard to understand him. That's what I love about it. No, it's, it's like great. This, I could I listen it. to this accent forever. His Irish accent is so bad, but he has to play it so straight that it's cringeworthy. But this is an, this is an accent that he does a lot that I just, it's always fun, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Where Fee and Sam used well. Um, I'd argue neither of them is used all that well. Yeah, like there's the the scenes between Fiona and Michael when they occur are cute. Like the, her punching him at the beginning and them collectively making the bug is nice. Yeah, like but they, it's like. It's not a standout Fiona moment. Like she doesn't get to blow something up. She doesn't get to use her explosives expertise. Like she doesn't get to do anything no. particularly exciting. We're just giving her no. more character moments, which I in, yeah. in this kind of and an episode, just, I don't like, think it's quite enough. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's more it's certainly uh, more about Michael. She's definitely written better in this episode and is getting a little bit more to do than like season one episodes, for instance. But yeah, I but, don't think yeah. she's does there there's quite enough of her affecting. She doesn't the plot. get to do like a fun fee thing. And yeah, not really. Sam she, spends pretty much the entire episode being like Stop doing things. <laughs> yeah, I like can't I do think shit. the Marine area was the Marine. What the hell is it called? Marine Stadium scene. I kind of like that for Sam because he's so like Michael, get out of there! Like he's he's so upset. Yeah, and I like that's seeing like the thing. him. Is it like and I like seeing him precision drive. But yes, I agree. Like there wasn't one standout scene. Like it was sort of a muted yeah, episode. It's like for all about of them. Sam, just like not wanting or not. To, to do anything. Well, that's because I think Sam and Fee were more in support mode this episode because it was a Michael and his mom because episode. Because it was a Madeline episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. It was um, an excellent Madeline episode. But yeah, no, I, I don't think that... Yeah, I don't think Sam and Fee were used well. But that's still three out of four. Yeah, so it's a great great episode of Burn Notice. Is it a great episode of television? Um... I really enjoyed it, and I, I re- like, I really enjoyed the Madeline scene. Yeah, the last scene is great. Last scene is great. The I liked the blackmailing scene, and I liked. Um, yes, that scene is great too. Again, I think like 
everything that Madeline does in this episode is great. All like every yeah. bit of performance that she gives is great. And, and I really did like the Michael and Fee scenes, even though they weren't like standout scenes. I thought that it was a nice continuation of last week. Uh, I it, I thought it felt really lived in, like we kind of talked about. I think that what's going to cause me to not vote for great episode of television is that I didn't find the case of the week particularly interesting on a client level or no. an execution level. It was just like an excuse to have lots of car chases. Um to like but like I felt like the good moments of this episode weren't quite enough like they were more B plot so it made it hard to think Maybe that that's the thing is that is like good. if the asset had been slightly different like if this is my thing about like you were saying that it's not fair to compare it to Virgil but like there's no reason that the asset could have been to more be, integral couldn't have been more integral I see I I disagree because I think that the fact that she wasn't integral is what allowed this to happen because if she had been more integral it would be there would have been more conflict. Like, I, I think the fact that they all thought, like, this isn't good, but it's fine. And then the turn at the end of actually, no, that's we true. need her again. I think that that's the only way that it works. I think that if she had been You're more right. integral to the story, yeah, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have played quite. It wouldn't have been quite the gut punch. Um, yeah. So that's my argument there. But yeah, I think no, that I, think I just, right. yeah, I just think that the, you know, I, I think if I the. Just, I think here's my thing. Okay. So if the theme of this episode is parent child relationships and like expectations, which I think is what he's trying to do, like the dad versus son versus mom versus son. I think that if the villain dad and son plot was more interesting, like if I, I think if I felt that harder, if it felt like the kid wasn't just a little pissant, but like there was an actual like control, if it it felt more like succession, I guess if that had been played a little bit more, I think maybe I would have liked it. But that just, it felt like the A plot felt like an afterthought, I think is the problem for me. Yeah. Um, No, I'm fine with that. Um... It's definitely, I at this point think it might be my favorite Nick's episode ever. It's just not quite there. It isn't quite there either. Cool. I don't know. Would, I wasn't would sure you, if we were going to like debate about this one too. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel so, as strongly about this episode as you felt about last episode. So, like, if you feel confident in saying it's an episode of television, but certainly a market improvement, I agree with you. Like, if you had felt potentially compelled to go great episode of television, I would have given it to him because. As of yet, Matt yeah. Nix has never written a great episode of television on this show, according to our standards. And, like, I feel a little bad about that. And this is certainly, like, an extreme improvement over previous iterations of his work. But I there's just, there's enough missing from the A plot that I don't think that I yeah. can in good conscience give it to him. Yeah, no, I think it's, a, yeah, it's a really good Madeline episode, though. I will give that. Again, mm-hmm. and I do, but and, I do and as, by extension, I think it's a good Michael Tina. episode. I yeah, I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But yeah, I think that it was a good Michael and a good Madeline episode, and it was a good duo episode, but enough other things didn't quite connect for me for me to be able to say, like, yes, this was a masterfully done television episode. Which I think yeah. is the split for great episode of television versus an episode. If there was a medium, yeah. if we had like a scale of one to three, I would give it a two yeah. for sure. But I'm oh, not definitely. convinced to give it a three. Um all right. Well, with that, all that's left is to once again thank Vincent El for our theme music. Uh, if you want more from Vince, uh, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And with that, bye.
beans, beans, the musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you toot. The more you toot, the better you feel. So eat beans for every meal. That just came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs>